Good morning. My name is Jason Upmore. Uh, for those of you, yeah, yeah, yeah. Come on. All right. <laughs> for those of you who don't know me, uh, I'm the college and singles pastor here at Wayside Chapel. And I'm excited to be able to preach today as we continue through our series through the Gospel of Luke. Um, and as you can tell, I'm a little bit under the weather. Uh, I've been under the weather all week. And so, selfish disclaimer if I start coughing, or if, or if my voice completely goes out, just start praying, you know, just worship, I don't know. Um, <clears throat> but it's going to be all right. And, you know, but, but Paul tells Timothy, he says, hey, Timothy, you need to be ready to preach in season and out of season. So I see that as like, hey, you better be ready to preach whether you're sick or healthy. And so you better believe I'm going to preach. And, uh, and I've got a sermon for you, repent or perish, okay? <laughs> That's where we're heading. Um, definitely... Not an Instagram-worthy passage. You know what? A lot of you know what I'm talking about. Like that passage where you open it up and it's a beautiful, encouraging verse. Put a coffee cup next to it, next to a window, light coming through. (laughs) Snap it, right? This is not one of those passages you're going to see on Instagram. Um, In fact, one of our admins who creates our slides, uh, she saw my title and she's like, Hey, why don't you, uh, maybe you should change it up. It sounds kind of intense. I was like, well, why don't you read Luke 13, 1 through 9? <laughs> and if you can think of something better, by all means. And so she read it, and she's like, yeah, that's a good title. So, <laughs> so that's where we're heading. Um, I'll tell you, like, this, passage, this passage is uncomfortable. Because we don't like thinking about a lot of the things that Jesus is going to talk about here in this passage. Um, we don't like thinking about repentance. We don't like thinking about death. We don't really like talking about calamity and suffering. And for a lot of us, if we're honest, like we go to great lengths. We go to great lengths just so we don't have to think about these things. I mean, we will numb our minds with all types of activities and things just so we don't have to address the very things that Jesus is going to talk about. In these verses, repentance is hard. Repentance is not fun. Repentance is messy. But repentance is absolutely necessary. For the lost sinner who desires to be restored, repentance is calling. For the person who longs to live a life full of meaning and purpose, Repentance is calling. Yes, repentance, while messy, is a posture embraced by earnest God-seekers. And so my prayer for all of us as, as we dive into God's Word is that we would be open to what Jesus has to say about repentance. And so if you would, open up your Bibles to Luke 13, 1 through 9. And before we jump in, uh, what I'd like to do is pray. And so, uh, if you would, I'd love for you just to pray silently where you're at. And just ask that God would teach you today. So do that now. And if you would also pray for the person to your left, to your right. And just ask that God would teach them.
And then if you would, pray for me. Ask that God would speak boldly through me. Well, Father, we trust you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Luke 13, verse 1. It says this. Now on the same occasion, there were some present who reported to Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. And Jesus said to them, Do you suppose that these Galileans were greater sinners than all other Galileans because they suffered this fate? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or do you suppose that those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed were worse culprits than all the men who live in Jerusalem? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And he began telling this parable. A man had a fig tree which had been planted in his vineyard and he came looking for fruit on it but did not find any. And he said to the vineyard keeper, Behold, for three years I've come looking for fruit on this fig tree without finding any. Cut it down. Why does it even use up the ground? And he answered and said to him, Let it alone, sir. For this year too, until I dig around it and put in fertilizer. And if it bears fruit next year, fine. But if not, cut it down. I mean, how about that for a sermon, okay? Um, I mean, can you imagine being there like Jesus has been preaching for hours and he concludes by sharing a parable and declaring, if you repent, great. But if you don't, God's going to cut you down. Mic drop, sermon's over. Okay, Jesus pieces out. I mean, that's, I mean, this isn't like soft, meek Jesus here. Like, this is just Jesus saying it like it is. Now, this passage can be confusing because Jesus gives two stories or two examples uh, that we really don't know much about. So if you're reading through verses 1 through 5 and you're like, what in the world is going on? You're in good company, okay? You're in good company because no one really knows what's going on here. Okay, there's no other references that talk about these two accounts that Jesus describes. And so all we have to work with is what Jesus tells us here in these short verses. And so what's happening? Well, we know Jesus is still preaching and teaching. And we know in Luke 12:1 that there are thousands of people that are listening to his message. And as he's teaching, he's interrupted by a group of people that report to him a horrific event that had just occurred. This was fresh on their minds. It would be equivalent to you interrupting me in the middle of my sermon, which I hope you don't do, okay? But you interrupting me and saying, Jason, did you hear what was just on the news? What are your thoughts? What do you think about this? And the details of what they explained to Jesus is pretty grotesque. Apparently... A group of Galileans were bringing their sacrifices to worship God in the temple. And Pilate, the Roman governor, for some reason decides to send some soldiers who show up and murder these Galileans in cold blood as they worship God at the temple. The soldiers then mockingly take blood from the very men they had just murdered and mix it with the sacrifices that they had brought in order to worship Yahweh. 
I mean, this is, this is grotesque. This is disgusting. Uh, this is horrific. This is evil to the point of mind-boggling. And the natural question that always arises when stuff like this happens is why? Why? Why did this happen? If there is a God, why would he allow something like this to happen? What catches you and I off guard is not necessarily death, but unexpected death. When someone dies in an unexpected, unnatural, or sudden way, it bothers us. It grinds our gears. I remember when 9-11 happened. Uh, I was 14 years old. I was a freshman in high school. My mom was driving me to school, and I remember listening on the radio with her to the reporter trying to explain what had just happened. And I remember getting to class. The school was on lockdown. I was in my classroom. The teacher puts on the news, and I'm watching as these towers are smoking from the planes that had just collided with them, and then watching them tumble. And thinking in my mind as a 14-year-old boy, why does stuff like this happen? And I remember the anxiety that filled my heart as I contemplated the evil that exists in this world and the danger that exists at all times. So in Las Vegas, when an evil man gets in a tower and guns down a crowd, or in Sutherland Springs, when a dude enters a church and starts shooting it up, the natural question that everybody asks is why? Why? Why do horrible events like these happen? And the Jewish people that Jesus is talking to are no different. When calamities happened, they wanted to know why. And over time, what the Jewish people had done is they had developed an ideology in order to answer the why of calamities. Which is why Jesus poses them this question. Do you think these Galileans were greater sinners than everyone else because they suffered in this way? Which seems like a strange response. Like, like if you're reading along, like you're trying to figure out like what's more mind-boggling, the Galilean story or the way Jesus responds to the Galilean story? I mean, it just it seems odd. But here's the deal. Jesus asks the question because he knows what the Israelites are thinking when stuff like this happens. Because what the Jews has, had determined is this. They said, you know, we're God's chosen people. We're God's favorites. God is for us. And so if unexpected calamity happened, there's only one reason why something like that would happen. And that's because whoever it happened to, they were worse than others. They were sinners. They had convinced themselves that if something tragic happened, if some unexpected death occurred, it, has, it was as a result of sin and disobedience. Or in other words, God was judging and punishing those who were more sinful than the rest. The Israelites had become so callous and so arrogant that they started to believe lies. And one of them this, that good things happen to good people and bad things happen to bad people. And brothers and sisters, if we're honest for a moment, all of us here struggle with that mindset from time to time. I remember even as a kid, uh, when I was struggling in football, or if I dropped a pass, if I missed a tackle, if my coach yelled at me, if I got rejected by a girl, which happened all the time, <laughs> my natural 
my natural inclination was to think that maybe God was punishing me. Maybe God was angry with me. Maybe I'm worse than everyone else. Even a few years back, when my wife and I went through infertility, some of the hardest lies that my wife and I dealt with were those very same accusations. You're going through what you're going through because of your sin. And then there's the other side. When we get that promotion, right? When we finally get that dream house, or when our kids are doing really well in school and they're making good decisions, like fill in the blank. Like in those moments, we're good. Like we've been blessed, right? We're blessed. Like we read our, we read our Bibles, we go to church. Our God's for us. Maybe, maybe he likes us more than others. And maybe we don't vocalize it. But pride will come up very subtly, right? And just into our minds and start to affect everything that we do. It's in those moments when things are going good, it's easy to look down on others. In that same line of thinking that plagued the Jewish people, it plagues our society, it plagues our churches, it plagues you and I. And what Jesus does throughout his ministry, and he does it again here in this passage, is he declares that if you think God somehow functions within this karma ideology, that good things happen to good people and bad things happen to bad people, then you are a fool because that's not how our God operates. If you want proof, look no further than the cross. Jesus, the perfect God-man, he did everything right, he never sinned, he perfectly obeyed, yet he suffers on a cross as a criminal. Jesus takes the idea of karma and crushes it. He allows bad things to happen to himself, and he allows good things to happen to you and I, even though we're bad. Jesus turns the table on his hearers, imposes the reality that the question should not be, why did these people die? But instead, why does God allow anyone to live? If the scriptures are true, if God is as holy and righteous as he declares, then why has he not wiped us all off of the planet? Ephesians 2 says that you are by nature children of wrath. Romans 3 tells us that we have all sinned. There is not one who is righteous. Isaiah 64 says that even our righteous acts, even our good deeds, are like filthy rags when compared to an almighty and holy God. What the Bible tells us is that you and I deserve to die because of our sins. And we will. If the rapture doesn't happen soon, every single person that you and I know will die. God would have the right, even in this moment, to give us what we deserve, death. He could do that right now. So why doesn't he? Why doesn't God just speed up the inevitable? Because our God is merciful. Our God is merciful. The reason you and I are still breathing in this room right now is because our God is a God of mercy. Psalm 103.8 says this, The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. While you and I deserve to die, we get to live. We get to laugh. We're able to enjoy life. Even the wicked get to do that. So the question isn't why do calamities happen, but instead, why is God so merciful? For those of us that are alive, why is God so patient with us? And we find the answer to that question in 2 Peter 3.9, which Stephen hit on last week. The Lord is not slow 
in keeping his promise as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. The reason God has not consumed the whole world in judgment is because he is still waiting for sinners to repent. The reason you and I are still alive is not because you are better then someone else who has died is because God is being patient with you. He's giving you another opportunity to repent. That's Jesus' response to the Jewish people. You are not better than the Galileans. The Galileans aren't worse sinners than you. The reason you are still alive is because God is being patient with you, Israel. He's giving you another opportunity. What should concern you is not death, but the judgment that follows. And to illustrate this point even more, Jesus brings up another event that they were obviously very familiar with. And he says, what about the 18 people who died when the Tower of Siloam fell on them? Were they worse sinners than you? The tower that fell and innocently killed all of those people, were they worse than you? Are you better than them? Do you honestly believe this type of stuff? What Jesus is trying to show them is that their ideology was messed up. Up The point that Jesus was trying to make is that you and I are living on borrowed time. These people that died were just everyday people, minding their own business, going about their lives as usual, and death snuck up on them. Uh, I've got two little daughters. Okay, I've got a two-and-a-half-year-old, and I've got a six-month-old. I love them to death. They're a blast, and, and I love all those people who come up to you, and they say, just wait. In a blink of an eye, they're going to be grown up and gone. And I'm always like, thank you? <laughs> is, that, is that supposed to be encouraging? Are you trying to, trying to encourage me here? Like, I know they're going to grow up fast. Just let me have my moment with my girls, okay? Let me enjoy this. Chill, okay? So don't come up to me after this service and tell me that, okay? I don't want to hear it. But it's true, right? It's true. Like, life flies by, okay? Life flies by. Uh, We all have experiences where it seems like it was just yesterday. I mean, when I talked about 9-11, I can still remember it like it was yesterday, but it was 20 years ago. 20 years ago. And the truth is, if everything comes up fast, if everything seems just like yesterday, if everything else just sneaks up on you, if we're honest, will death not do the same? We're here one moment We're gone the next. The point that Jesus is trying to make is that you and I are living on borrowed time. Jesus says these people that died, died unprepared, but you can die prepared. So Jesus ends with the story in order to illustrate his point. And he talks about a fig tree that had been planted in the vineyard. And after years of watering and cultivating, the man is perplexed and surprised to find the fig tree had produced no fruit. Frustrated, the man says, cut it down. Why even let it use up the ground? It's not fulfilling its purpose. The vineyard keeper then begs the man, let me fertilize it. Let me cultivate it. And who knows, maybe it will produce fruit. Desperately, he begs the man to give the fig tree one last shot. Now remember, parables were used in order to emphasize one main point. And the point that Jesus is trying to make is really simple. You're living on borrowed time. Fig trees were often used as a metaphor in order to represent Israel 
And so Jesus is warning the Israelites that judgment is coming if they choose not to repent. God has been very patient with them, and their time to repent as a nation was waning. Time was running out. Israel needed to decide what they are going to do with God's gift of a Savior. What were they going to do with the person of Jesus? Would they accept God's gift, or would they reject Him? And the same is true for you. And the same is true for me. Every single one of us in this room, we have to decide, what are we going to do with Jesus Christ? If there is no spiritual life in you, if you've not been born again by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, you will be cut down. You'll perish. You're not only going to die, but you'll be separated from God for all eternity. God is patient, but His patience will not last forever. There's going to come a time, church, when God says enough. And if you've not repented by that time, judgment will come. Everybody lives on borrowed time. Everybody. Every breath that you and I take is a gift. Your life is a gift. Don't waste it pursuing meaningless things. Your life has eternal value. Figure out what you're going to do with Jesus. There's an urgent practicality to the message that Jesus is preaching. You get one shot. Don't take your life for granted. Uh, This type of mindset uh, really hit me summer before college. Uh, That's where I really started to follow Jesus. Um, And I was going to A&M at the time. If I was waiting for it, okay, waiting for it. Um, And actually, I had a bunch of family members that went to A&M as well. And when I started following Christ, like God gave me a tremendous burden uh, for my family. Like a tremendous burden. And I remember this one time I, I was at my cousin's, I was at my cousin's house, and I was just sharing the gospel with him. Just sharing the gospel. And he said to me, he said, Jason, I agree with everything that you're saying. But right now, I, I, I just want to do things my way. He said, when I'm 40, I'm like, yeah, then I'm ready. I'll, I'll, I'll start doing what you're talking about. But right now, I'm just going to do me. And I remember just being befuddled by his response. And I asked him, I said, how do you know that you're going to live till you're 40? And he just kind of, he just shrugged his shoulders and kind of moved on. And fast forward a few months where I'm sitting at his funeral because of an unexpected calamity where he lost his life in a car wreck. And I share that story not to scare you. I share that story because it's a reality. We are all living on borrowed time. We're all going to die and we have no control of when that happens. There are seasons for waiting. Much of the Christian life is about waiting. There's a time to wait. But when it comes to repentance, it's not one of those times. Whenever Jesus calls people to repentance in the scriptures, it's always preached with a sense of urgency. Because we are living on borrowed time. Everyone will die. We're not in in control of when. So do everything you can to figure out who you think Jesus is. Because if you don't repent, you'll perish. So the question that should naturally come up now is, okay, well, what is repentance? Like, how do I repent? What does that look like? Well, the Greek word for repent, which Roger and Michael have talked about a thousand times, uh, literally means to change one's mind. And so in regards to salvation, repentance and faith can be understood 
as two sides of the same coin. It's impossible to place your faith in Jesus Christ as Savior without first changing your mind about your sin and about who Jesus is. Repentance involves owning your sin. It's accepting the fact that there is evil in your heart that you cannot fix on your own. And if you don't, you'll perish. But don't miss this because repentance is also understanding that there is someone. There's someone who can do something about your helpless condition. There is someone who can rescue you from your guilt. There is someone who can crush the power of sin in your life. There is someone who is willing to take your place. There is someone who is willing to take on the guilt and condemnation that you deserve and that someone is Jesus. Repentance is understanding that you need mercy. You need grace. Repentance is owning your sin but trusting in Jesus to deal with it. Repentance is understanding that anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And it's not because you're a good person. You're actually a bad person, but we have a gracious God who is slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness, and he raised Christ from the dead, and he'll do the same with you if you'll trust him. Those who believe in Jesus may die, but they'll never perish. They'll never perish. A few years back, I was driving home from work, and it was one of those days. It was a tough day. Okay, I, I used to be a teacher and a coach. Those of you teachers, like, you know what that day looks like. Okay, it, it, was, it was a hard day. And so I came home. I was, I was ready to get home, and there's a stop sign about 100 yards away from my house. And so, you know, I stop real quick, and then I, I keep going. And all of a sudden, I, I see those dreaded red and blue lights in my mirror. <laughs> okay, I was almost there. Uh, and so the, the cop pulls me over. And, he, and this is, I'm just going to tell you right now, this was not one of my finer moments, okay? And so the cop comes to my window, and he says, hey, did you know you just rolled through that stop sign? I said, well, I stopped quickly, okay? I didn't, didn't roll through it. I stopped quickly. Um, he was like, no, you, you rolled through it. And I, was, and I asked him, I said, well, do you have video? Don't ask the cop if he has video, okay? Don't do that. Don't ask the cop if he has video. And he says, he says yeah, I got video. He said, show up in court and you'll get to see it. And I said, I'll see you there, okay? <laughs> yeah. Feeling bold. <laughs> Feeling bold. So a, a couple months go by. A couple months go by and I don't know what happened, but I forgot about it, okay? Yeah, I forgot about the court date. And so um, I get home one day. I know y'all know where this is going. I, I get home one day and, and my wife's like, hey, Jace, you got some mail. I was like, cool, what'd I get? She's like, I warrant for your arrest, Okay. <laughs> I was like, oh, no. <laughs> and so I, I never dealt with that before. So I, I called, the, called the courthouse. And I said, hey, I explained what happened. I said, can I just come in tomorrow or whatever and we can deal with it? And they said, yeah, sure, just come in. And so I really didn't, I didn't think about it again. Um, got home from work the next day. There's a knock on the door. <laughs> Rach looks out the window. She says, hey, Jace, it's a cop. <laughs> I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. So I'm trying to, I'm like, how can I play the pity card? So my, my newborn was on the floor. So I grab her, okay? <laughs> grab her. Okay. Go, go to the door. An- answer the door. Cop's there and he says, are you Jason Upmore? I said, yes, sir. He says, do you realize you have a warrant out for your arrest? I said, yes, sir. He says, then you need to come with me right now to the Bear County Jail. I'm like, I'm a dad. I can't. I can't go. I'm not very big. I'll get killed in jail. I can't. This ain't going to work. He's like, no. He said, you broke the law. He said, here's the deal. 
you need to pay $900 right now. Right now. Or I'm taking you in. And I was like, is there, is there any other way? Like 900 bucks? He said, no, you got to pay it. And so I paid it, and I said, is there anything I can do? He said, yeah, I guess you can just go to the judge and just see what, see what he'll say. And so I went to the court the next day. I went to the judge. And he asked me, he said, why are you here? He said, didn't you already accept your guilt and pay the fine? I said, yes, sir. He said, then what do you want me to do? Oh, I, I don't know. I just wanted to see if you could do something. And he, he looked at the, the case document in front of him. And he took out a Sharpie. And up top, he wrote, paid in full. He said, how about I reimburse you for the whole thing? Yeah. <laughs> I was like, this is going to be an awesome sermon illustration one day. Um, <laughs> and it is. <laughs> But here's the deal. I, I came to the judge. I came to the judge with nothing to offer. I owned my sin and my foolishness completely. The only hope that I had was trusting that the judge would not give me what I deserve. And that's exactly what he did. And the same is true for you. God has been gracious with you. He's given us a Savior who went to the cross and he took your place. And he died for your sins so that you wouldn't have to. And he rose from the grave. And anyone that trusts in Christ is free. You're free. It's a gift. It doesn't make any sense. You're free. Some of you are in this room today. And you need to know that your God loves you. He loves you. But you're still in your sin. You've never trusted in Christ as your Savior. You've tried to earn a relationship with God. You can't do that. It doesn't work like that. It doesn't work like that. We're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. You need to trust in Jesus today. You need to trust in Jesus. God has been patient with you. Don't wait. Don't wait. And then I've got one last point, then I'm done, and it's this. Repentance is not just for the non-believer, but for the Christian as well. You see, repentance is first embraced at conversion. But for the Christ follower, repentance becomes a way of life. It's a posture that you and I live in for the rest of our lives. And what I mean by that is while Christians are eternally secure in Christ, we live in a very real relationship with God. And within this relationship, if we do not repent of certain sins, then our fellowship with God can be strained. Okay, my daughters... If they grow up and decide, you know, dad's rules aren't that important to us. Okay, we're going to wear what we want to wear. We're going to do the things that we want to do. Are they still my daughters? Absolutely. Are they still my girls? For life. There's nothing they can do to change that. But if they choose to live in a manner that's not according to my design for them, then we're going to have a strained relationship. Some of you are sitting in this room right now, and you're His. You realize that salvation is by grace through faith, and you've placed your trust in Christ, but you've been running. You've been running from God. There are habits in your life. There are addictions in your life. There are sin struggles in your life that you have not dealt with. And your relationship with God has been strained. For some of you, every time someone asks you, how you doing? 
you say good. But deep in your soul, you know you're not good. And the beautiful thing about Christianity is it's okay not to be okay. God loves you. There's grace for you. But maybe for the first time this morning, you need to admit to yourself and to God that you're not okay, that your life is a mess, that you're struggling and you need help. That's the first step. And maybe God wants you to go talk to a trusted individual this morning and let them know about what's going on. And you need to own your mess. You need to own your sin. And you need to turn to Christ. And there is restoration in the name of Jesus. Proverbs 28, 13 says this. It says, those that hide their sin will never prosper. But those who confess their sin will find compassion. There is compassion that is available for all of you this morning. My prayer is that you would take it. If I, had to, if I was a betting man, I'd, I'd say that probably every single person in this room has something that they could repent of. We're not perfect creations. We're sinful people who've been saved by grace. We're a work in progress, right? We're a work in progress. And so my prayer, we're going to sing one last song. And we're going to declare to God that we need him. And I want us to do it together. Because we're all in the same boat. No one's better than anybody else. It doesn't work like that. Uh, we're saved by grace. So own your mess. Sit with your God. Confess your sin. And know there's compassion for those that do. Let me pray. Well, Father God, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your grace. You're a merciful God. You're slow to anger. You're abounding in loving kindness. Help us not to take that for granted. Father, we turn to you right now. We ask that you would restore us. There's many of us here who are struggling with all types of addictions. We need your help, God. We don't want to be like this anymore. We don't like who we've become. And we ask that you'd heal us. Give us brothers and sisters that would come alongside of us. Encourage us in truth. Come to our aid. God, we thank you for the Holy Spirit who never leaves us. For those of us that are trusted in Christ, he's always there. He's pleading with us. He's pleading to you, Father, with words that we can't even comprehend. For the believer in Christ, there's nothing, that's, there's nothing that can separate us from your love. We're your children. Help us to walk as obedient ones. And God, I know there's folks here who aren't saved. They're in their sin. And one day they're going to perish if they don't trust in the gift that you've provided in Jesus Christ. Help them to trust you today, to swallow their pride, to accept grace, and know there's hope. God, would you do that now? That's more than any man can do. That's your work. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.